Welcome to the Ag Emerge podcast, brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. Your farming challenges are unique, so your practices should be too. We're here to share emerging ideas, build connections, and provoke conversation. Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm your producer, Kim Chase. And I'm your host, Monty Bottens. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. At the end of 2023, we took the Ag Emerge podcast on the road to the Big Soil Health event in Cedar Falls, Iowa. It was a great event where hundreds of farmers and ranchers from all over the country gathered to learn, share, and encourage each other to continue to adopt soil health strategies. We asked attendees to join us in our On the Road studio to share their soil health journey. And I want to tell you, get a tissue. These are heartfelt, raw stories of family, legacy, and amazing soil health. Thank you to our wonderful guests for sharing, and don't miss a single story. Let's jump right in. Well, now we're joined by the brains of, of this whole show, Liz Haney and Seth Watkins. Both have been on the Ag Emerge podcast before. So welcome, guys. Thanks for taking some time out to be here. What's your thoughts so far? What are you, what are you hearing in the halls? What are people learning? What, what, do you, what do you observe so far that really gets you excited about this conference? Well, thank you for having us. I think the, the neatest thing that I've seen from this conference is um, this morning, it was, it was after Jerry Hatfield, who spoke after Jerry. Um, Jay Fear. Jay Fear. One, they talked about change, and that you finally change when the pain of change is less than the pain of doing the same thing. And and this conference is always a little bit this way, but we're all here to learn how to do a better job and make a better future. And I've felt that is the theme of the conference and we're hanging out with people we might not always hang out with and we're having a good time and we're here for a common, a common goal. And we, it's you neat. Know, you know how many farmers it takes to change a light bulb? Have you ever heard this one? None. Well, we don't need a lot. Change. Why change? <laughs> <laughs> so we can get, we can get uh, stuck in our ways, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's certain things I'm sure, Seth, you've gotten stuck in your ways. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty of it. That's for sure. But, uh, I think the other thing, the only thing I would add to that, I was thinking while he was giving that presentation, is I think the pain that doesn't have to be equal to. I think the pain of change has to be significantly less than the pain because we'll just kind of sit in our own poopy diaper for a long time. It was your presentation. You're the one that talked about that. No, yeah, Jay did. Jay did. Jay. No, okay. No, Jay. Did. Okay. I remember Jay okay. saying that, and I thought, you know what? I think it actually has to be. I, I think. Have you noticed that, Liz, when you're working with farmers, doesn't it take some sort of a maybe an event? Uh, change in the family, change in acreage, something that just clicks with them to be willing to go a little further. Is that fair? Or Yeah, I think it's fair. But sometimes it is really dramatic. I mean, I've had farmers that were like on the verge of giving it up, suicide, mm-hmm. whatever. And it, and and then they figured out they could do stuff a different way. So they could live for growing instead of for killing. And that's what made a difference. So it's not, maybe it should be soil hope instead of soil health. It really, it really is soil hope. Yeah. 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 I think that is a big thing. And I used to work with a lot of California dairymen. And when we went through what we called dairy Armageddon in 2009, I knew three dairymen that took their lives. Yeah. And it's a, 
just in California there. And it's a real problem. So, I mean, you've, you know, Seth, that how soil health and our practices affected your family, really your family got, got you to where you are. Right. I mean, that was a watershed moment. Yeah. yeah well, I was actually starting before my kids had been born. That was the thing. And, and, you know, as farmers, we don't usually go to our co-op meetings and hear I talk about surface water or some of the things that might be happening because of what we're doing. You know, we just hear about yield. And uh, and then as I learned more, I think the watershed moment for me was when I figured out it doesn't have to be this way. I'm not talking about going fully organic or anything like that. I use chemicals, you know, and, and I, I probably will for the foreseeable future. But what I know now is I can use those and they stay on the plant and they don't go into our groundwater. They don't go into our surface water or rivers and streams. And I know there is a path forward to use less and less and less every year. And that's what I've always stressed to folks too. You know, I there's a lot of challenges in a modern world, but we can do this in a way that protects our environment. And I, I think that's been a real theme here is it's not this black and white, you know, yes and no organic or not, you know, it's life. Isn't that simple. There's a, there's a gradient or a spectrum of things that, that, you know, we can move down that, that journey to get a little better every year. Um, I, I've heard a lot from, from people in, in the audience, just, you know, simple of how do I start cover crops and other people, wow, you know, I could see bringing livestock back or I could, I could see getting more crops and such. So, okay. So let me ask you this. What do you hope, Liz? I mean, this is a lot of work for you. What do you, what will you consider it success when you hear people have done something different as a result? How do you measure that success out of the event? So my bar is that one person walks away with hope or finding something they can change that's going to work for them. So it's a lot of work for one person. So if you get two, it's half as much work per person. <laughs> yes. Is that how that works? It would be. <laughs> yeah. And I suspect you're going to get more than one, Liz. But, but really, <laughs> I just, if one person gets something out of it, I'm happy. It's worth it. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you think, Seth? You know, actually, I want to talk about Liz for a minute because I was going to introduce her as a speaker and I thought about what I wanted to say. And when you talked about, you know, the dairy farmers you knew that took their lives, when you talked about some other things, um, this is a fairly isolated vocation. And a lot of us, myself included, believe it or not, actually do very well being kind of quietly introverted on the farm and, you know, you kind of suck it up and don't complain about it. Liz has brought us together, which is maybe the most important thing that a lot of people take for granted. And she's brought us together in a way that is open and that we have a chance to le learn. But where I was going to kind of go with it is, uh, I th and, you know, you probably think in the tractor cab too, I think a lot because it's solitude. But, what else but is there I, uh, to do? <laughs> you know, there, there, there's sympathy, which is really meaningless to me. You're driving by, you know, look at the poor little dog on the side of the road. There, There's compassion where you actually take time to think about it and say, shit, that dog's hungry. I'm going to get him something to eat, maybe even take him to a shelter. And then there's altruism. And there's very little altruism in our world where someone actually actively organizes and leads and takes us to something different. And Liz is the most altruistic person I know. And I want to compliment her for that. I think that right there, I think that right there explains the spam 
that is on the table right here. Okay, so this is altruisticness uh, uh, taken to the uh, funny. Um, so <laughs> we, we have to tell a little story, and I, I'm gonna gonna repeat it again. Okay. But uh, um, so we were together at a soil health event up at Tom Cotter's in Austin, Minnesota, home mm -hmm. of Hormel. Uh, we got done at about three o'clock out in the field and it was going to come back together for a barbecue at six o'clock. And I'm like, well, what do I do in Austin, Minnesota? I look it up, TripAdvisor, there's a spam museum. So I go to the spam museum, didn't buy any spam, but learned all about spam. I'm just kind of weird like that. Um, bought a spam wine glass to have some wine at the dinner that night. And uh, Liz, you saw that and you said, what <laughs> the heck is spam? Spam or a spam museum. So yeah. anyway, she she thought that was so hilarious. There's actually a whole case of spam that she flew in just for me. It's a really special touch. This is something I will, I will probably never forget is that somebody gave me a case of spam. And, and, <laughs> and you'll always have. I mean, it's like a Twinkie. It, it will. I, well, yeah. I don't know if I'll save it, it, it but it, uh, well, the memory will save. Again, you might. I, 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 you could have <laughs> saved my life here. Think of how that is altruistic there. But no, I think one of the things I'm getting at is you know everybody on a very personal basis yeah. and you you love the relationship that you have with everyone yeah and that that love for people i think is what's comes through here at this event i hope so it's about community and i want everybody to not feel like they're on an island mm -hmm. no that's great because there's people from a lot of there's people from lots of different areas that are here and i think that yeah. that they can have that sense community here, that safety, mm -hmm. but then they know that when they go back home and they may be surrounded by people who are not interested in regenerative or maybe ridicule them, they can go back knowing that, hey, there is a group of peers that I can draw strength from. Now yeah. they know where the cool kids are, you know, I mean, <laughs> there you go. Well, <laughs> if you're cool kids and you have to say you're cool kids, you may not be cool kids. It's kind of like telling everybody you're famous. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. yeah, that that cat could be too. So, I tried that in high school, saying I was a cool kid, and uh, yeah, mm -hmm. as you yeah. can tell, I'm not a cool kid. Yeah. It's all relative. What else? Uh, uh, kind of update us a little bit since you were on the podcast. Um, it's been been a little while for both of you. Any any major news here in the last year, eighteen months that uh, want to make everybody uh, aware of since you visited with us? You became a Leopold. And I, uh, award I, winner. I did. I, I received the Leopold Award, which was nice. My daughter started cut. Now I'm reading the ingredients. Uh -oh. I want to know. Here we go. You're a scientist. <laughs> what What is the difference between salt and sodium nitrate? Mm. Well, <laughs> sodium chloride. That's right. Salt, sodium chloride. I'm sorry. Back to back to this. I'm, I'm, are bad. I am learning how to <laughs> plant trees. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm I'm having more time to enjoy my farm. You know, these practices have allowed me to pay my farm off. I'm out of debt. I am working on making my farm smaller so we can focus on certain things. Um, a big part of this, and you know, I've heard Adam Chappelle talk about it. I've heard some other farmers talk about it. Is we have more time, and that might be. Uh, Lauren talked about this today. You know, when he received the the Leopold Award this year, we have more time for our families, and and you can't put a you can't put a price on that. So. I'm I'm thankful that I've got my health, that I'm in a position that I do have my health, that I'm out of debt, and I'm actually getting to hang out with the people I always wanted to hang out with, you know, with my wife and kids. Oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. And think about how many more farmers you've worked with in the last couple of years since you were on the podcast and the acres of impact. 
yeah, it's been a lot of farmers to work with. Yeah. I don't keep track of acres, but right, not my thing. But yeah, and and we're doing some really cool things. Um, in fact, over lunch, met with um a business partner, and we're gonna have a barbecue and brew festival in Wichita, Kansas, October fifth. Nice. Yeah, trying to get Cody Jinx. Okay. Like big time stuff. So is there is this going to be kind of like your your brew festival that they had here, which is kind of unique to this, you know, local, local beers. It's going to be so can people who would have happen to raise pasture raised pork. Yes. Be able to bring and participate in a barbecue contest. Yes. Anybody doing any regenerative practice with any type of animal. And I, and we're even thinking chickpea burgers, if you want them. Hey now. I know. That was somebody else's idea. I don't know. Mine. Spam could be better. Spam burgers, no. yeah. <laughs> um, but really, like, we want the consumers and the people that are eating food to understand where their food comes from. And so we thought that having a festival with with food and drink and bounty houses for the kids and music and stuff like that, and then farmers speaking, that they would start connecting back with the land because I mean, I grew up in a city. I didn't know, you know, where, who grew what, but um, I think it's really important people understand what farmers go through because they like to villainize them a lot without actually knowing what they do. Yeah. They're people too, trying to do the right thing. Yes. So no, that's a fantastic idea. I love that. I, I might be there to sample. I, yeah, could I'm I be sure. a judge? Yes. I'm well qualified. Okay. You know, I... Okay. You're on the panel now. <laughs> oh, man. Awesome. Awesome. I love being a, a judge of a barbecue contest. So what else we need to visit about before we got to get back to the next uh, session and those kind of things? Other other burning ideas, thoughts? I'm, I'm just thinking three days of peace, love, and regenerative ag in Wichita, Kansas, man. I mean, this is yeah. going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Cool. No. I have to go watch my business partner talk. Oh, in trouble. that will be, that will be a problem. So <laughs> anyway, thanks guys for joining us. Thanks for all the impact that you're doing and the lives that you're changing and the soil that you're saving. It's uh, you're making a big difference Thank and you. it's neat to see it continue to grow and the momentum continue to move forward. So yeah. awesome. thanks here. for your time. Yeah. Thank you for what yeah. you do. Hey, it's a good time to be here. So take care. My name is Sue Kennan. I live on a farm between Claremont and West Union, Iowa, up in Northeast Iowa. I'm about 40 miles from Minnesota and about 40 miles from um, Wisconsin, so way up there in the corner. I, oh, as far as titles, I was, I was, I was um, nominated and selected as the 2016 Iowa Woman Conservationist of the Year. And last year in 2022, I was nominated and there were four of us women that were given a title as um, Iowa uh, Women in Ag Leadership Award. Uh, from all of that information, I was contacted by Jean Ells to be a stewardship ambassador. So I talked to different groups, agencies to promote some of the conservation things that I have been doing on my farm. 
uh, when I heard Monty talk today and he talked about coming in to visit with him and getting a free can of Spam. Well, here I am. <laughs> so awesome. thank you for having me today. Well, that's fantastic for sharing all that. And congratulations for doing the right thing. But I think it's also great that you've been recognized for doing the right thing. So that's wonderful. So what are some of the, what do you feel are some of the practices that you've done that have earn that recognition there. What have you done to date to promote soil health on your own farm in the Driftless region? And that's where I am at, is in the Driftless region. After I lost my husband in 2011, in 2011, um, I felt like I was a fish in a fishbowl. Everybody was watching this single woman and what she was going to do. Was she going to make it on the farm? Was she going to sell it? What kind of practices was she going to do? What helped me more than anything, and it was of nothing that I did, was a farm right across the road from me, a larger corporation bought tore out every tree, every fence, everything. And on my side of the road, I was putting in, um, oh, these wonderful waterways and edge of field borders and doing some timber stand improvement, um, rotational crops. I'd have corn one year, beans the next, that kind of thing. So I was like an example for people to drive down Highway 18, look to the north and look to the south. And and that's kind of what happened. So you're here for a reason. You've done a lot of practices uh, so far, mm -hmm. conservation-oriented practices, and you kind of, you have a good handle on it. So what are you hoping to learn here or what have you learned here so far that's of interest to you? The thing that blew me out of the water today was the no-fence grazing um, something that you have incorporated. It was like, wow, because where I have my farm, I have border fences, but I don't have anything internal. And I've always known that part of the best way to regenerate the fields is to have livestock on it. And I would have to have, you know, different kinds of fencing to make that happen. Right now, what I do have grazing out there our deer, the white-tailed deer. That's the best I can do. And they do leave behind their droppings. I have them in my gardens. They come right up to my house and they eat the hostas, you know, the, the candy that I have in my yard for them. Well, good. So the virtual fencing is something you really weren't looking for when you came here. No clue. But after hearing it, it's something that you would consider for your own farm or it would open it up for anyone else who'd want to graze your ground. Right. using that virtual fencing because you have the perimeter in place, just don't have a way to regeneratively grade mm -hmm. it. So, well, that's interesting. Anything else you hoping to see or have seen so far that's interesting? Um, the one thing that I would like to do is give a shout out to Lauren Steinloggy. Uh, Lauren lives probably all of seven miles from where I'm at, and I've known of him my entire life, basically. Our um, parents grew up uh, neighbors to each other in the St. Lucas community. In fact, one of the farms that my parents own is one that Lauren's uncle had at one time. So I've just known their family for many years, and I am so glad that he is being recognized for some of the innovative practices that he has incorporated, not only in his farm, but he is so willing to share with so many people that will just listen to him. Just an outstanding man. 
And for those of you that don't know, Lauren was the this year's recipient of the Leopold uh, Conservation Award for the state of Iowa, and he'll be in the rankings for the national winner too. So, which I think he probably has a very strong chance at. So, well, we'll pretty, wish him pretty luck. excited about mm -hmm. that. All right. So, what are you going to do different when you get home? Well, what's your next right step? <clears throat> Golly, that's um, a wide open question. Uh, mainly because the farm that I own, it's 160 acres. And then this past um, June, I purchased my neighbor's farm. He came to me with a contract that I couldn't refuse. So now I own approximately, you know, between three and 320 acres. All of that land is in CRP. So with it being in CRP, I don't have any practices that I can implement immediately, but I do have a field about 30 acres that will be coming out of CRP in approximately four years. So now I'm looking at what am I going to do to that? And I know I will have a pollinator strip right through the middle of it. I'll have edge of field border, and I'm looking at that being organic, 100% organic. So um, coming here is giving me the goal planning and setting that I need to do. And uh, that's interesting you bring that up um, because I, when I bought that uh, ranch land of ours, it was in CRP also. Mm -hmm. So it was 18 years into, uh, you know, 20 years of contract. So we actually bought out the CRP payment and grazed it August, September. So we paid back, I think 35% of the payment, brought the cattle in to start grazing the weeds mm -hmm. that had accumulated over time in order to help start the begin, begin that process of regenerating. So that's something you can do. And I like your idea of going organic because you don't have any waiting period. Nothing's happened to it. So all good uses of your resource. So I think this is, God's given us an amazing mind. We we should use it. So I'm glad to see how you're thinking. Absolutely. So thank you for having awesome. me today. Enjoy the rest of the mm -hmm. conference. Nice to meet you, Sue. And I'll enjoy the spam too. Oh, there you go. We'll <laughs> tell people about that later. Very good. Thanks. Well, now we're joined by Evan and Rochelle Shad from Wisconsin. Welcome, guys. Glad you could take a minute and step in and tell us a little bit more about what you got going on. Thanks, Monty. So you got you got to tell us your story. It's pretty neat and uh, kind of where you've gotten to what you're doing today. Yeah, we uh, we're both farm kids. Um, I'm from Wisconsin. Evan's from Iowa, and they let you in. They did. Yeah, <laughs> I got right in here. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been working in the agriculture industry our entire careers we grew up as farm kids you know it was our goal after we got married to have some of our own farmland really to do whatever inspired us and so that's kind of where we started this journey um we have you know 50 acres so we're not big by any means but we're looking to grow and really the challenge in our area is to add value to our crops so that we can continue to grow and find additional acres because land is very valuable as I think everybody listening can attest to. I like you saying very valuable. Most everybody would say it's really expensive. So that too. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So in order to kind of offset what you're doing with a smaller acreage and mm -hmm. create more revenue, keep more of what you're doing on the farm, you decided to, well, what can we do with a regeneratively raised product to preserve that value versus just let it go into the commodity stream with anything else. So exactly. how did you guys come to that conclusion and, and, and talk about what, what you're pursuing now in that regard? Well, you could say it's planned, but you kind of just start in a direction and you stumble into the next oh, logical uh, shot. <laughs> sounds much more professional if it's planned. Totally yeah. had a plan. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In our acreage, you kind of look at commercial production. It's like, 
all right, we're either just going to farm corn soybeans and say we farm and subsidize it off the farm or how can you think differently? And we started going down, growing unique grains in the front yard and backyard and seeing what's the theory, right? <laughs> to test the theory of flavor. And then we got into milling. Uh, we had that opportunity in growing grains for that direct to consumer connection. And it's just been really cool how the regenerative interest is weaved in with that milling interest of, you know, we started planting covers, started no-till. And as soon as it's time to the next step is to look at that third crop and get a rotation and lo and behold the milling comes around and we can start growing our own grains for that so the soil health journey and the milling journey have really come together better than we could have, have planned on our own so so you're saying that if you grow wheat you can get more than 650 a bushel for it or if you grow corn you can get more than 450 a bushel Correct. Oh, really? Yeah, dollar really? per pound versus dollar per bushel is, oh. is the goal. Different oh. <laughs> mindset there. That's uh, 56 to 60 times better, right? Potentially, yeah. <laughs> that's the idea. That's the idea. Okay, so uh, talk to us about the milling operation that you're that you're doing now and, and getting direct to consumers. Yeah, so we had dabbled in, you know, a few ideas. We had raised livestock previous just to figure out, you know, where we wanted to go on our farm journey. Well, to you know, figure out you don't want to raise livestock? Is that what you I mean, saying? that's part of it. Uh, <laughs> We're hearing here it's supposed to circle back around yes. again. Oh, okay. Yes, it'll come back around, uh, I'm sure of it. Um, but we really, I guess my passion is more on the food side. Um, and so bringing that farm to food kind of together uh, was really something we wanted to pursue. And so the more we learned about soil health and how that translates to nutrition, um, it really became obvious to us. And that's that's our niche. That's how we're going to tell our story, to advocate for the agriculture industry, um, but then also to connect with consumers, really, who care about where their food is coming from. So is it possible to support your family on 50 acres alone doing this long term, you think? Um, we you hope so. Yeah, I think, I think you know, we hope chill. to grow to even more acreage and that incentivizes, you know, that process. And mm -hmm. um, we both still work and, and that's been going well, but those are things we'll have to navigate in the future. Um, and then, you know, it gives our kids that hands on. A lot of farm kids don't have that opportunity because farms get so big. Um, my day job, I work in dairy cattle genetics. You know, it's it's hard to even find a way for kids to get on the farm. And so this gives our kids, um, you know, an easy, accessible way to be hands-on with ag again, um, so that we're not that last generation of farm kids that went off to school and worked in industry. And, you know, um, that's, that's important to us, you know, I think deep down on our journey. So, well, I wouldn't discount that. That is definitely a strategic plan right there that you're, you're looking for that for your, for your future generations. So mm -hmm. talk to us about your customers. Are they, are they consumers or are they, uh, chefs, a little bit of both. both. What, what's the mix? Yeah, we really have uh, that direct-to-consumer connection. Mm -hmm. um, so we sell on our website or uh, have built partnerships with different retailers that are interested in the type of product we carry, the artisan nature of it. Um, but then we've also understood that it's you can't sell all of your product in two and five pound bags mm -hmm. to consumers. Um, so we've built some great relationships with restaurants, uh, with bakeries, and uh, continue just to find that right balance to move the crop that we have. So we're not mm -hmm. sitting on that for years. Um, we want to make sure that it's it's cash flowing and um, 
it's so you you could have chose to do standard wheat or mm -hmm. just mill it and say oh it's locally raised and direct to consumer right but you've gone the route of ancient grains or heritage mm -hmm. grains those kind of things um uh, have you looked at gluten-free too and and those kind of kind of niche markets are just focusing mainly on the heritage process we get the question on gluten-free um but with our processing facility frankly it's You'd just not possible yet facility. okay yeah so that could be a, a future expansion right. now how much are consumers i'm you know willing where's your price point compared to general grocery store flowers or or you know um hominy those kind of things that you're doing yeah yeah it's definitely not your standard uh, grocery store price mm -hmm. you are going to pay a little bit more but with the story and the connection to our family, to our land, um, understanding our practices, that's really like a nuanced conversation that some right. consumers really are craving right now, which is exciting. It's not a blanket statement or, you know, we often get the, the question, are you organic? And sometimes, you know, for our consumers, it's very important. And that's a check the box. Yes, I'll support you. I'll buy your product or, oh, okay. You know, thanks for sharing more it's not right. necessarily the right fit. So um, there's plenty of consumers out there. We all eat. And so it's an exciting conversation to have. So I think that's important for everybody to hear is that you don't just have to take the lowest price. It's a different mindset versus being in the commodities. You can have a higher price point because you are telling your story. So, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people notice I always ask their story first thing on a podcast. I'm trying to help people understand where, where you're coming from, right? Mm -hmm. And you're doing the same thing with your business is helping to know that you know, we're a farming couple that's looking to raise ancient and bring it forward, but it's, yeah. it's going to be a premium price for that too. So yeah, and the okay. price thing is important to me long-term as we grow, hopefully, um, you know, to answer your question shortly, it's more for a product. We think mm -hmm. justifiably so. Mm -hmm. Um, and if we do the right farming practices, but over time, like my experience on the commercial ag side, that size, scale, and efficiency does serve a purpose. You know, it's easy to hate on the big farms, but, you know, large farms can do the right thing too. And that size, scale brings accessibility and brings the cost down. So mm -hmm. over the long term, like we want to be able to sell a five pound bag. It's probably still going to be more, but we want that to be accept, uh, accessible to blue collar people and not just be, you know, this expensive flour that's kind of, you know, we bake with it at special times. We want it to be accessible for that everyday culinary use in people's kitchens. So, so being here, what have you learned so far? What are some takeaways? What are you going to do different next year or in the future when you get home? Head swimming a little bit. I don't fully know the answer, especially <laughs> after, you know, the first speaker this morning, but um, we've made some baseline movements on, you know, doing the no-till, um, doing the more diverse crop rotation, doing the cover crops, multi-species. So like, we're seeing some of the soil health stuff move finally, like two, three, four years into this. So that's exciting. And just leveraging that more better understanding that information's available to us. Some of the in, in the, within the year crop rotation, uh, in within the year, sorry, uh, crop nutrition, uh, sap testing, um, those type of things that sound like can really rev that engine up that we've we've built a bit of a foundation for so well good sounds good glad you shared yeah, and it's, you. it's pretty exciting what you've got going on and, and i think it's important to remember we're farmers we're not corn farmers or we're not dairy farmers we're we're to create the greatest value we can out of the land that we're given to stewards so it's neat to see how you're doing that and connecting directly to consumers so awesome anything else 
No, it's long time lister and oh, first good. time caller. So. Oh, there you go. Uh, That's awesome. Appreciate appreciate what you do and the outside the box thinking is I'm, definitely. I'm not as fun as Dave Ramsey, where you can shout "We're debt free." Yeah, we're gonna have to come up with something a little better. So, <laughs> all right, guys, thanks so much for dropping in. Thank, Thank you. you. Hmm. Well, now we're sitting down with Jerry and Jen. Welcome, and you're from the great state of Wisconsin. Yeah. Tell tell us a little bit about your farm, where you're located, and crops you grow. Um, we're in Grant County. I'm a conventional dairy farmer. Uh, in a corn and alfalfa rotation, chop, uh, corn for silage, do combine corn for grain. Um, uh, I'm looking to transition out of conventional dairy to dairy altogether, actually. Um, got hooked up with the regenerative movement through uh, a friend of mine at Farm Aid. Um, she introduced me to the soil, what is it, SCI? Soil Carbon Initiative. Oh, yeah, yeah. the Soil mm -hmm. Carbon Initiative. I was accepted into their go-to-market program. Okay. I'm one of the founding 50 farmers. Um, over the year, over the two years, I've uh, got to know Liz Haney, um, got to meet Ray Archuleta today. I thought he was on my bucket list. I've, I've met Dave Brown at a, an event he did in Baraboo, Wisconsin. Um, and I, I'm just I'm trying to learn as much as I can. Uh, it's a pretty big leap from the way I've been farming to where I want to be. Uh, looking to go 100% no-till. Uh, I've been using covers, primarily rye for quite a few years on some of my acres. Um, biggest hurdle for me as a conventional confinement dairy is the amount of manure that we deal with. Um, in in regenerative circles, they talk about animal impact, and a lot of times I feel like I'm the Flint, Michigan of animal, animal impact, and I'd like to get away from that a lot of it's you know just getting on the right side of things um taking a critical evaluation of the way i farm and and i feel like there's a better way um, fifth generation farm where we're at um, i'd love to bring my daughters in someday uh, i don't want what i have now for them uh, i think this is a direction that I could uh, provide for a sixth generation with something that's worth their time and effort. Um, I'd so, like to ask you about that. Um, fifth generation, has it been dairy all five generations? Well, um, my dad focused on dairy when I started. We were at a 50 cow stanchion barn. Uh, we're milking like 70 cows. And then when I got out of high school, we went over a hundred, uh, graduated from college and just grew from within and got to where we are today. Um, but, uh, dad sold the pigs when, uh, when he built the 50 cow stanchion barn, uh, we used to have laying hens, uh, that we sold off the farm. Uh, those are gone. Uh, 
my grandpa worked off the farm. He built harvester silos for 18 years, dug the footers, was afraid of heights, never climbed one. <laughs> um, and prior to that, uh, there was, it was always a mix of animals, a lot like what is talked about in regenerative where you have multiple species. And uh, so a lot of this isn't, it isn't uh, a stretch for me. I've, I've got personal memory and historical knowledge of, yeah, we used to farm a lot different mm -hmm. than the confinement model. We, uh, in confinement factory industrial model we're following today. So that's a big decision for both of you to make to uh, wind down the dairy. Mm -hmm. It sounds like that's in the, in the near future because uh, it's a, uh, you know, twice a day, every day, no matter what. And, uh, that that's a big deal, but I thought it was interesting what you said, so that you have something for the next generation because daring stuff, and uh, it's been tough many times since you know I worked with dairymen in California, and two thousand nine was was horrific, and it's never really kind of come back since then. It's you know maybe one year and three it's okay, but it's a it's a tough business mm -hmm. and, and a lot of work. So. What does that path forward look like for you guys then transitioning away from dairy? Will you, will you transition them to, to beef, uh, use those cows for, to do a beef herd or will you just cold Turkey and, and no more animals? What, what does that look like for your farm? What have you guys talked about? Well, we, we've always maintained a cow calf herd. Mm -hmm. So, um, I've never lost that skill of actually having cattle on grass, mm -hmm. um, Right now we're around 60 cows and I'm, I'm for the first time in my life, actually trying to put together some kind of a business plan. Um, it was always, uh, up to this point in my career was, it was just keeping up with the growth of the dairy herd and making decisions to, to facilitate that. That that's a lot of what I find myself in now. I'm I'm making decisions. The dairy drives my decisions. What's best for the factory, not necessarily what's best for the soil, uh, for me personally, for my family. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've we've I've got a small flock of sheep. Um, really enjoy the sheep. I brought them in when my daughters were young. We started with orphan lambs. Uh, something that was at a scale and a size that that would help instill a, an all love and appreciation of animals and them. Um, so yeah, the I, I see livestock being a part of it. I'd like to be more diversified than I am. Uh, when I look at the prospect of a drought at this point in my life, uh, you know, if I have a crop failure purchasing enough feed to to keep that engine running is it, it I, I can't even wrap my head around it and at 330 cows i'm i'm a small potato anymore uh when there's 3,000 cows down the road a thousand cows the other direction um so yeah i'm, I'm, I'm hoping to in my perfect world if it uh I'd really like to not be a commodity farmer anymore. Um, 
I guess in my mind, when I produce commodities, which is cheap and easily replaceable, uh, then that makes me cheap and easily replaceable. And I prefer not to live with that on my shoulders. That's a great comment. Great way to think of that. And I, and I don't think a lot of commodity farmers think of themselves that way, And but they probably haven't stopped to think about it because they're keeping the machinery going all the time, like, like you alluded to. So Jen, I'm going to ask you to jump in here just a little bit. Talk to us about this transition and journey that you guys have been on for the last couple of years and, and your, your uh, perspective on that and some of the things that you've learned both at maybe this event or other events and uh, that you've been to that are kind of supporting moving in this direction with your farm. Uh, like you just said, journey, that is probably a word that we've heard every speaker speak today um, and last night. Um, also a year ago when we came, everyone here is on a journey, whether they're just learning about regenerative ag, um, just everyone's learning. We're either at the beginning, the middle, the end, and no one person is ever left behind. Everyone is willing to share their information, to share the failures that they've had because they don't want someone else to make that uh, mistake. We've met so many wonderful people um, in the last two years uh, through Green America, the SCI, the Soil Carbon Initiative, uh, here with the Big Soil Health event, um, brought us back a year later. We got to reconnect with friends that we'd met last year um, and form relationships with, but also meeting new people. Every time you turn around, it's, oh, I was thinking that, or yeah, we went through that, or you know, welcome to the table. It's just a very welcoming environment and it makes you want to do better. So how do you come overcome? I'm going to ask you this because of the being the spouse, how do you overcome that fear factor of the change uh, in going really totally changing how you guys are doing your farm to this, to the newer paradigm of farming? What's that like? Or you don't even worry about it. You know, it's the right thing. It is scary. I think that's a word. That's another word that pretty much everyone we talk to is either, yes, it was scary when I did it, or it's scary as I'm doing it, or while wow, looking back, that was a leap of faith because it it is a very big change. Um, it's a lifestyle change. It's farming is your job, and but yet it becomes a part of who you are. And so therefore you're like Jerry's saying, evaluating yourself as a person and what you're doing, um, and then trying to find a way to better yourself and to better your practices. And as you learn more, until you, once you know better, then you have to change. <laughs> you do the best you can until you know better. And then, then you look for ways to make those improvements. So tell me about the sixth generation. When they're, when they're, when you're retired, okay. And they're, they're fully in charge. What's their farm going to look like? What's your vision of that, Jerry? You've got one. I guarantee it. Yeah. My vision would be to be in harmony, uh, with nature and the natural systems, um, to have opportunities for them that match their skills and interests. Um, that, that hasn't always been the case with me that I was able to, uh, utilize all my talents, like, like the last few years of, of conventional dairy farming is 
the skill I use most is just endurance. Uh, just kind of like the old Dunkin' Donuts commercial. It, it's waking up every morning. It's time to make the donuts. <laughs> and uh, sometimes meeting yourself, coming in on the way out. You know, it's... Uh, I'd like to have things in place where they're not conflicted, where they're feeling like they're doing the right things and um, bringing community back. Now, that's the thing. I, I just finished Will Harris's book and a lot of that I could really identify with. I'm really good at what I do. Um, but just because you're good at something doesn't mean it's the right thing to be doing. Um, so, yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking for change, and I'm trying to learn as much as I can. I'm trying to build networks. Uh, there's so many people that I meet that know way more about this than I do. And uh, I'm more than willing to tap in to their knowledge to, to help me succeed. Uh, so yeah, I, I like the farm's a, a beautiful place, and, and I know my daughters love the place. Uh, I'd like to have what happens at the place for them to love as much, and to be able to, you know, live and raise families there would be that would make me happy that's awesome that's really awesome anything to add it is a scary endeavor to be standing there at the edge of the cliff feeling the desire and the want to make that leap but not knowing what that's going to look like and not knowing if that parachute's going to open um it is scary but yet it's so exciting because the more we learn about regenerative ag, or at least for me, the more I see people thinking outside of the box and following their moral compasses and what they believe. And that's exciting to think that our girls will potentially be able to find something that works for them with their passions and their things that they are good at and the talents and gifts that they have to I don't have a vision of what our farm is going to look like. And I'm excited for the endless possibilities because, you know, to have that freedom to think outside of the box and be able to create something that is unique to our family and to our generation. Well, I want to thank you both for sharing your story, uh, sharing your passion. And uh, I like that you're starting with a plan and have it, have it spelled out where you want to go instead of just letting it happen to you. And I think the, the more time you can spend on that between milkings and everything else you've got going on, you know, the better and clearer that picture will be for the future. So I can, I can tell you're going to be successful. Thank so you. that's, that's pretty awesome. So we wish you the best and in, in, in what you're doing in your transition, that's uh that's, that's hard work and, and only you can do it. So just, you know, vet everything and, and, and really, you know, my advice just just make sure that you can 
that the numbers agree and that there's, there's cushion and, and it aligns with what you want to do and, and, and it'll happen, but it's, it's a big change. Mm -hmm. And, uh, congratulations for your bravery of being able to make that change. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks guys. Appreciate you sharing. Thank you. Yep. Well, welcome back everyone. Now we're here with Jeremy and Kelly Slack. Welcome. Tell us a little bit about your farm and where you're from. Uh, we are from, uh, East Central Ohio, uh, about 10 miles west of uh, Zanesville, Ohio, um, right at the edge of Appalachia, pretty much. Okay, so you got kind of a unique story on how your farm got started. Um, share that with us and, and how you've really grown uh, pretty quickly here in a short amount of time. Uh, we there was, a, there was a farm down the road um, that they were uh, putting in a 20 million gallon biosolids lagoon, and we we kind of blew the whistle on it, I guess, and was talking to a neighbor and he said, well, he said he wasn't really satisfied with who he had farming his farm and it was 42 acres. We was planning on farming it on the halves so we could kind of know where our food comes from. Um, just wanting to know, I guess the, I guess a regenerative ag mindset without even thinking that way. Um, and, Before he knew what the word was, right. let alone how to spell it. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so we wanted to know where our food came from. And, uh, so, and then in that time frame, Kelly's mom actually moved in. She sold her house in Indianapolis, was living in, in our 42 foot fifth wheel camper in our driveway. And we was kind of nervous about where we're going to find a house because the housing market and, and, uh, our neighbor came to us and said that, you know, uh, they were uh, dissolving uh, him and his wife were getting divorced and they offered us the farm and it worked out and we was able to purchase our first 93 acres and her mom lives a quarter mile away over the hill so my but mother better, than, lives... in, better than in your driveway exactly oh. and she's she likes it much better too <laughs> so um so we was able to purchase that farm and uh so we went from 42 acres to 100 acres the first year and then um the gentleman farm and everything around our farm and our, the 42 acres where we live he uh he retired and so we put our bid in and we was able to pick up and we farmed about 300 acres this year so, so. you're doubling in size every year yes but boy not, at, this, at this rate you're going to farm ohio in no, 10 I, or 20 years i, <laughs> I don't that's definitely not my desire but um we i told my wife i said we have one chance you know this is it's a it's a retirement situation. It's not, you know, you're not bidding against each other. You're not doing the Correct. big boy card. You know, we're just, we just want to have an opportunity to do it. And so, uh, and so we wanted to be able to, and all this land, except for one farm, we didn't, we didn't get it, but everything is continuous. So our long-term plan is to possibly graze cover crops and, and be able to, we, my daughters could actually walk cattle on 580 acres and not even put them on a trailer. So, and that's, that's all our ultimate goal is be, you know, um, to have livestock and then integrate with our cropping. Well, situation. that's pretty neat. So first generation farmers then? Yes. Both of you. I, I grew up farming. Okay. Um, I grew up on a 275 cow dairy. Okay. Um, which was actually my family farm that had the little lagoon being put on it. Um, and I would have been fourth generation, but family don't always see eye to eye. So, you know, yeah, that'll happen. And uh, so, but we we're blessed to be where we're at. And we, we give God the glory for yeah. everything we're doing. Well, definitely it had to be a yeah. God incidence there. I like to call it for that yeah. to, to fall into place. So, 
Uh, very, very interesting. So decided to come all the way from Ohio here to the, to Iowa and, uh, to the big soil health event. First time you've been? Yes. What, what, why were you interested? What were, what were some of the things you were hoping to learn when you came here? Well, Jeremy growing up always farmed conventionally. So there was always plowing and disking. And as we started learning about what's in our food and how it's created and, you know, there's the GMO, non-GMO debate, but what does that even mean? It's just letters. So once you start reading into that and figuring things out for yourself, and I think having children has something to do with it because that's like being responsible for somebody else and you want to know, you know, what you're giving them. And so just researching that um, and just your own health, you know, as you get older, your body doesn't regenerate on its own or at all, for sure. So you just start thinking about, you know, how can I do the best with what I have? And, you know, we give God the glory for everything that he's blessed us with. And we want to do things the way he wants us to do them. So we started learning about regenerative agriculture. I think I read a book, somebody on a podcast I listened to once said Gabe Brown's name. So then I found this book and I read that book and then I started reading other books. Joel Salatin. Joel Salatin. Like, and two years ago, I didn't know who these people were. I didn't know anything, you know, and, and interestingly enough, I actually have an agriculture degree. I went to the Ohio State University and have an agriculture degree. And this is not what they teach you. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. I know. And you paid good money for that other. Yes. <laughs> and I'm not saying anything about the education I received. I have a very nice piece of paper. There you go. And so, but I want to learn other things. Mm-hmm. And so we decided where, where do we go? And I think meat, I worked for a, a crane company. Um, and so we went to a, a job that we had to change out a formaldehyde mixer. And so the operator and I, we would we would have to rotate every three hours because it would burn your lungs so bad. Because, oh, great. Because, I mean, you know, it's formaldehyde. I mm-hmm. mean, it's the purest form. And we're building the building, you know, the, the system that builds it. And so we... And I asked the guy, I said, well, there can't be that many, you know, frogs and stuff that get dissected in high school anymore. I said, it's probably not even allowed. I said, where does all this go? And he said, you'd never believe. He said, it's fed on chicken farms. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, it kills the salmonella. So they they put it as an additive in the, and so I'm like, and that night we came home and we had chicken and I'm like, it, it just, it's like, I'm eating formaldehyde possibly, or, you know, I don't know, you know, and then without being vertically integrated, you don't know. And so that was part of our whole thing was, you know, we want to know. And then there was a major movement in our community over the the biosolids and finding out what's in that. Anything that goes down a drain in in a city is possibly in that. So you're talking 8,000 chemicals, toxins, and pathogens. Well, when you start doing the research, it's really scary. And so we, so we wanted to find out and know. And, and so that's our goal is to be vertically integrated to where we can 100% say that the grain that was fed to these animals and these animals was processed on this farm. And we can provide a quality product to the family so that we want to help. So it started out feeding your own family. Now you're looking at feeding multiple families. Yes. Um, and a lot more direct to consumer is to come up tomorrow right? In, in those panels and such, but you've been asking some great questions about what are, what are some value added crops we can grow? Where can we market a non-GMO corn and get a premium for it? But I think 
the neat part is, is I love your, both of your mindsets is that you're looking for what those opportunities are. Where are those premium markets of value add to where you can be more diverse or grow cover crops for seed and, and those kind of things and pursue that. Um, as you reach out to that, how does that feel that daunting task to, to figure these things out? Is it like, Oh, I'll never do it. I'm going to give up. Or is where do you get that commitment and the drive to, to make it happen? Um, I think for myself, a family member once told me that I wasn't smart enough to do anything on my own. And so now it, it used to be a very heavy burden in my life that you always was scared of being a failure. But now talking to everybody here that's been in the regenerative ag, you know, there is no failures. There's learning experiences. You know, this didn't work. This would work, you know, and don't be afraid to ask questions. Like, um, I just, I guess really it's a different mindset than I guess, you know, a lot of large farmers that just, you know, I, I feel like everybody here, no matter how big or small wants to help the next person. Like that's a totally different mindset. And so I want to be able to help the next person. So I, I guess that's the drive is, you know, I want to help my kids. I want to help, I want to help other people. And that's, and I think that's the whole drive is to being not about self, but about community, about helping other people. And I, I would say the same thing. I mentioned to you earlier that I, you know, I started 500 laying chickens. I did, and a year ago, I didn't know if I even liked chickens, but it turns out I don't mind them. But when I, I'm struggling because I, you know, mucking out their bedding or our daughter overflowed the waters a couple weeks ago and Jeremy had to muck out the whole barn and he was upset about that. But anyway, when those situations happen and it's frustrating and it's cold and you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with, with livestock, then my customers show up and they have their children with them. And I know that they're getting a product that feeds their family in a nutritious way. And they, they can't, they don't have the opportunity to do those things on their own. Not everybody does. And it just makes me, I didn't even get emotional, but it makes me really glad that God has blessed me with that opportunity to help them. Well, that's good. That's good. So what are some things that even in uh, being here one full day that you've heard or, or been immersed in, what are some things you think you'll change next year in, in your operation? What will you take back home with you? Well, we've already started. We we planted all of our soybean acres, which was predominantly most of our acres this year. We planted into cover crops, the diverse uh, mm -hmm. uh, several several different blends, um, and we're trying to, uh, I guess, I guess like the some like probably the biggest thing would be the Haney test. I, I'm really excited about doing that because some of the land that we picked up has been long term no till, but it was just it was long term dead. If you know, I mean, like it's it was kind of evident to me because there was some land that that the farmer before me wasn't spray wasn't planting and so there was a couple strips that i conjoined in together and we we made all one field and those fields had so much more biology and and life in it and so when we planted them just seeing the difference in it is is amazing so now i want to replicate that and then we had a we had a pasture field the, the fence, it wasn't really a pasture field. It was just a fence row that was bad and had a bunch of saplings growing up. And so to see the different soil type from 50 feet across, you know, to what this is what God intended, you know, this was, this has been as long as I've been alive, been grass, been small pasture field, you know, had a few cows in it in the wintertime and he'd feed round bales out there. 
and just to see the just the fertile soil in that and we had we did have to work it because we plucked out some saplings and it was rough and picked up roots and my daughters hate that you know now like they they're not we they're not have... advantageous of picking up sticks but <laughs> but to see the difference just right across the fence row what's been essentially farmed to death its whole life and you know mined i mean there was a lot of there was a lot of mining done on the farm that we picked up and so to see the difference and to see that i mean to the to the row this year the corn was four feet taller and just robust and and healthy and i took the seed salesman out there and i said i said this is this variety of seed consultants or whatever and he's like i've never seen this corn this big you know and i said and i'm like and i I'm thinking in my head, why is that? Well, it's not anything he did or I did. It's what God did mm -hmm. in the ground. And so I want to replicate that on everything we can do. So, yeah. you know, yeah. and I think this, this conference has really helped in learning from other people that are a lot smarter than myself, you know, that how do you do about doing that, you know? Yeah. Kelly, what do you hope to take home and put to action? Well, I think one thing, um, is your, just the mindset shift. So Darren talked about his wildlife and, and he said on the stage, so I was trying to figure out how to get the wildlife on my side of the fence. And I don't know how many conversations Jeremy and I have had about how do we get the wildlife on their side of the fence? Because we have so much deer pressure where we live. And so instead of thinking that of them as a nuisance, you know, they, it is a blessing that there is wildlife there, not everything is dead. And so we have turkeys, we have raccoons, we have mm -hmm. deer. So how do we incorporate some of his mindset? We aren't hunters, so I don't think like he does. And so, you know, seeing there is a different perspective and maybe we can utilize some of those strategies to mitigate what we perceive as a problem. It really is just kind of cohabitation, maybe. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah. This is always a different way to look at yeah. things, right? So. Well, congratulations, guys, on your your young farm, and and I love that you're not afraid to try new ideas and and pursue things. And uh, God certainly bless you. I'm sure He'll continue to bless you. And uh, it's it's really neat to see you pursuing this path. Well, we thank you very much for taking the time to to talk to us. All right. Well, enjoy tomorrow. There's going to be more to learn, and then you get a long discussion on the way back home. Very much so. We're looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thank you. The Ag Emerge podcast is brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. The ASN team is hands-on, digging in and invested in regenerative agriculture. Along with the proper plant nutrition and biologicals to boost your soil microbiome, we provide the ideas and implementation guidance to support you on your soil health journey. So stop farming the same way and contact Ag Solutions Network today at asn.farm. Well, welcome back, everyone. Now we're joined by Tom and uh, Tom Rudolphs from Pike County, Indiana. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your farm, and also your role with uh, the SWCD. Oh, uh, we we farm about 500 acres in southern Indiana. I'm the third generation on the farm. Uh, my grandpa, we, we got a lot of news clippings from him, and one of them, he said he bought a house, and they threw in 160 acres. It, it was pretty degraded, gullied out land, grown up in briars and saplings. He set up the soil and water district in Pike County then, worked for them, and then in his off time, he went to work healing the farm with a double bed axe and a mowing side. 
So most people kind of feel committed to the farm because the family relationship, but you're committed to the farm and the conservation district here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he started. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know any better. <laughs> there you go. That's that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, so tell us why you're here today. Quite a drive to come from Southern Indiana up here to Cedar Falls, Iowa. Yeah. Like, what, what are you here and what do you hope to learn? Well, I heard Ray Archuleta and Gabe Brown and Gary Zimmer about 15 years ago at the uh, Southern Indiana Grazing Conference and kind of built a fire in my mind, I guess. <clears throat> so I've been been trying to get in what I can since then, listen to a lot of podcasts and just trying to gain all the knowledge possible on this. So we're just getting started with the conference. We're halfway through the first day. Anything interesting? Got to hear Ray again. You oh, know, yeah, for me, yeah. it was totally new presentation. Yeah, the, uh, the, a little different. Yeah. I, I think he just makes them up as he goes. Doesn't I'm he? pretty pretty positive. Okay, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what have you learned so far that uh, you think you'll take back home and apply? Oh, that's hard to say. Like I said, I listen to so many podcasts; it's become so over, over overwhelming at times. There's a lot of a lot of different channels, but I think all in all, they're pushing the same thing, which is <clears throat> when did he say that oh before my time wow that that's pretty insightful yeah yeah i think right I think, because i mean that that really hasn't become well known until what the last five to ten years seems, seems like it yeah yeah i mean they people didn't think like that back then no, no, they, they thought about most bushels or most livestock or yeah, he, he was pretty pretty unique. Uh, he he went to Purdue for college. I believe rode a train up there. I think and stayed all year. And what I always heard was Purdue would come down here to talk to him to learn how to grow grass. Well, so he he you he said it. I didn't have to. No. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> he joking. definitely had it figured out. <laughs> yeah. So well, that's really really interesting. So, what are you looking to change in your operation, or what's something you hope to do different as a result of being here, or all the other information that you've you've gathered in the last. Well, my, my my ultimate goal would be to heal the carbon and water cycle on our farm. Um, getting away from inputs, of course, would be great. We've done that some over the years. We've, we've been cover cropping a pretty diverse mix for five to seven years. I kind of lose track of time, but just, just get away from all the bad stuff and make, make it more enjoyable, you know. Yeah. Hopefully I have a place for my son on the farm. Um He's looking to go to college next year. So now you've brought him to the SWCD meetings too, right? Not yeah. I've, I've, so I've, he's getting both I've had sides. him around a little he's bit. He's getting yeah. the farm in. Okay. Cause he has to continue that legacy, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty neat. I, I think that's really, really neat. So any thoughts on livestock integration or value added enterprises or, or other uh, ways or, you know, um, ecosystem services payments, stuff like that, Tom. Yeah. I'm looking pretty hard into livestock. That's, was a tool my grandfather used on the farm. Him and my dad ran 500 head through a year, farmed on the contour, had a lot of multi-floor rows, fence rows, and terraces. But they got out of them in the 70s, and we kind of got into the corn bean rotation. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd kind of like to try to mix it up. I'm kind of unsure on how to get, get into cattle. It's, they were gone before yeah. my time, so I've not had experience with livestock. Well, um, one thing I can say is don't repeat the multi-floor rows, fence rows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would skip that, but let everything else it can be learned. So, well, no, Tom, I, anything else I should have talked about or asked with our brief time here together? Um, I think we covered it pretty well. Um, 
but I think that's a neat story of uh, the, the legacy that you're continuing on with your from your grandfather. And I think that's something unique about farming that no other industry has. Yeah, I've, I've had really, really good teachers. Like I said, I don't know, don't really know any better than farming this way. Um, like I said, there's a lot of a lot of info out here, a lot of things that contradict each other. But I think your goal should be to produce as many tons of organic matter as possible and you get your carbon and water cycle healed up. I think the ground will take care of us if we take care of it. That, that summarizes it really well. And as the Bible says, there's wisdom in the counsel of many. So Absolutely. you have to, you know, listen to a lot and learn what's right for you because ultimately you're in charge of your farm. I've, I've read a few times that Adam and Eve's name originate from soil and life. So that, yeah. that is pretty important, I believe. That is true. All right. Thanks, Tom. Thank Glad you. Good stop in. Absolutely. Well, up next, we've got Emily Kamala here at the Big Soil Health Conference. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So doing a lot of things with direct to consumer, and that's been brought up a lot in the conference so far. Tell us about what you do, your role, and, and kind of your vision for, for what you're doing. I'm actually the community manager for a company called Farm Rebel. And so I actually just get to be the cheerleader, the person who brings everyone together and helps them move through the program. So we are an educational platform. Um, we bring people in who are interested in learning how to sell direct to consumer. And we teach them how to do that online um, through email marketing and direct response marketing. Okay. So how much interest is there in this now from farmers compared to maybe just a few years ago? There's a ton. Why? Um, why what's driving this um the the low prices that you get at a sale barn the fact that i would say one of the biggest complaints that we have or one of the driving factors that we have from people is that they're no longer making money so their farm is on the line everything is on the line if they don't start finding another way or another another avenue to actually increase their income so they cannot do any succession planning because they don't have anything to give to their children. Mm -hmm. They don't have a future for their children unless they are making money. So this is another option where they can actually see what's possible and to create a life that they maybe haven't had. So like right now, the farm may support the lifestyle of the mom and dad, but there's no room for a son or daughter to come back to the farm to provide an income for them. Yeah. And it might not even be supporting them where they're at right now. Good point. Right. Good point. So by doing this, what you're trying to do is capture more of the value of what the farmer is raising or growing Yes, and keep it at the farm so yes. that they can bring family members or community members to their farm and, and stay there. Yeah. And it might be even bigger than that, where they're actually seeing like what they're producing has incredible value. Right. And so this is where I don't want to go into whether or not it's regenerative agriculture or whatever mm -hmm. else that's available. When you're buying directly from the consumer, you you have this the ability to see where your food has come from. And that traceability has incredible power. It gives the producer a chance to actually see what it is that they're doing, who they're impacting, and it gives them a sense of purpose again. And so when they're able to do that, it actually it it brings it brings that that rancher back home. It brings them to that place of wholeness that mm -hmm. maybe they've missed because they don't know where those animals go. They don't actually see how people are benefiting from what they're creating. Hmm. And this, it not just brings them income, but it gives them purpose. So you've seen that now on yes. several different farms. And I mean, it's it's not a unique thing where one person was excited about knowing that family, the Smith family ate my food, right? right? You've, you've seen this multiple times. Yeah. And how does that, how does that change the farmer? And, and why should a, a farmer who's listening to this now consider, you know, 
the extra work and what they would think is maybe headache, what is that reward for that, the risk and the investment that they're going to do? Yeah. And that's, that's kind of a hard question to answer because it is not easy. Hmm. It is not. Um, you are taking on a whole nother position. Like how many, how many farmers and ranchers can actually say that they have the time to do a whole nother full-time job when many of them are, are ranching full-time and working a full-time off-farm job mm-hmm. just to make ends meet. So then we're asking them to do a whole nother job on top of that. Mm-hmm. And so the risk in that is huge because they're losing time. They're losing energy. They're already exhausted. Mm-hmm. The value that comes around from that is, is being able to see the impact right away, right? Mm-hmm. Being able to see that connection right away. So did I bring that around? Yeah, I think so. So it's not what I'm getting as not only a way to make extra money, Yeah. but it's also uh, rewarding. And there's a value to that too. Yes, because we're lacking community, Yeah. right? Yeah. Farmers and ranchers are isolated. So how do you create connection? How do you create community? And one of the ways to do that is to actually create to the people or create connection to the people that you are selling to or that you're producing for, right? Yeah. So if we are stewards of the land, how do you become stewards of of everything that is encompassed with that mm-hmm. land. So Farm Rebel, love the name, yeah. really cool. And uh, the other thing is you're helping with email campaigns, text, all those tools, mm-hmm. but telling their story. Yes. And even if you're a corn-fed farmer finishing mm-hmm. in a feedlot, sure. there's people who want that product and they yeah. want to know who it came from. Or if you're grass-fed or bison or if you're produce. Yeah, chickens, pork, chickens, any whatever. Yeah, people want to know and connect, and they're they're out there looking for. It. Absolutely, so you're, you're just helping to equip farmers with those tools, and also with the knowledge of of how to make that happen. Yes, and probably I'm guessing this isn't just a take a class and done. It's an ongoing support system and coaching and training and how that works. Yes, yes, there are guilty. options. There are options <laughs> to continue on. Absolutely, when that's good. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. Yeah. How is that going to make a difference in soil health? Do you think? Um, well, I can't tell you what's coming with our next program that's out there, but okay. they are looking at how to bring in land and animal and they are looking at cow calf operations and they are looking yep. at soil health and teaching. Well, I, I can speak into this because again, we talked about stewards of the land. So how do you become a steward of the money? Mm-hmm. Right? So when you're financially viable, you, you learn how to actually do what you need to be doing without risking costs or risking that investment. Right? So you actually are creating more of that. And when you have that ability, you have more control of, of the commodities and everything else. So we're not relying on larger corporations to manage our commodities. We bring it back home. You bet. So Farm Rebel, I'm sure you can Google it, but yep. probably farmrebel.com or it's what? It's .org, actually. .org. Very good. You can look up the website. Anything else that you want to share or ways to connect with what you're up to? No, I, you can definitely look. We are doing massive amounts of online advertising, so you're going to be able to see it there. We probably have shown awesome. up in your feed. Awesome. That is fantastic. Thank you. Well, congratulations for helping farmers uh, do better and preserve the value of what they're creating and keeping it out there, even at their farmstead. Love it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We're going to probably be able to do a follow-up when your your additional product comes out and it's available and and it'll be fun to share that with everyone. I love it. All right. Thanks, Emily. Thank you, Monty. Well, welcome back, everyone. We're here now with Lance Irwin with the Sand County Foundation. Welcome, Lance. How are you? I'm great. It's great to be here. Well, you had an honor to hand out an award here at the big Soa Health Event Conference. Tell us about the award and the recipient this year. Sure. Lauren Steinlage was awarded the second ever Leopold Conservation Award uh, for Iowa. And it's a wonderful award that recognizes farmers, ranchers, and forest landowners who are just doing the best with their conservation opportunities. And 
Lauren's a shining example of what we call a land ethic. And it was it was such an honor to get a chance to share his story here at the Big Soil Health event today. So talk to us about the Leopold Foundation and the award. How did that become to be? you know, Sand County Almanac, and kind of give us a quick history lesson on all this. Sure. So Sand County Foundation is a, we're a 501c3. We're based in Madison, Wisconsin, though we do work all throughout the country. And um, we're actually founded by a uh, godson of Leopold, who had the idea that they wanted to protect the shack property and the the teachings of Aldo Leopold from a Sand County Almanac were important to share and to make sure that they still stayed relevant in today's environment. So way back in 2003, we began this program called the Leopold Conservation Award. It started in the state of Colorado, and all it was was a recognition program of those farmers and ranchers voluntarily doing amazing things by the, uh, and doing right by the land. And since that time, it's expanded from Colorado in 2003 to now 27 states uh, are active in the program. And it is a, an amazing thing because there are land stewards in all shapes and sizes, big properties, small properties, livestock, crop, forest, you name it. And they're all doing amazing things. So these awards you give out every year, describe the process of someone listening to this podcast knows someone who's want that maybe they want to nominate or maybe they want to self-nominate and describe what that process is like and, and what it takes to be a, a Leopold Conservation Award winner. Sure. So if you go to the sandcountyfoundation.org website, there's a list of all of the uh, nomination materials. And basically what it is, is it's an essay form where we want you to tell your own story, or if you're nominating somebody, tell that person's story on how their conservation ethic um, is exemplified how they're being innovative, how they're being adaptive, and probably most importantly, their resilience, not just their environmental resilience, but their economic resilience. How does conservation help keep the farm profitable? And we keep those open, generally speaking, from the winter into the early spring. And you can you can send it right in via email. And then each state will have a panel of judges of conservation and agricultural experts from that state come in and evaluate all of the nominations. And, and it is important to note that that panel also includes actual farmers. Um, and those folks will select finalists and a recipient and we will uh, we will make a video about them and hand them a check for ten thousand dollars and make a big deal out of these out of these superheroes and and that's really what they are is they're they're conservation superheroes. So obviously it awards you know rewards the person who wins, but what are some of the other side effects that you've seen from this? I'm sure you're creating awareness in the public, um, you know awareness amongst other farmers that hey I can do I can do more I can do better. What have been some of the results out of them? Sure, absolutely. You know, um, one of the things that I think is is really important to think about is there is no one better to teach a farmer than another farmer. Um, and to, e to even take that one step further, somebody else facing similar challenges in a similar type of environment. So when we can showcase examples of, let's pick a state like Illinois, if we have a farmer in Illinois using conservation practices to be economically successful, boy, that really resonates with other farmers in Illinois faced with the same type of weather situations 
similar type of challenges. And we create these examples of what has worked and what hasn't worked for people so that other farmers can be successful. And hopefully we can shorten that learning curve to have more people have, have conservation success. So I think that's amazing now with a, you know, you've been doing this for about 20 years, right? Uh, And out the awards and, and you've got the 27 states that you're covering. Are you getting to the point where there's enough great things going on that you're, you're turning people away? I mean, not, obviously not everybody (laughs) that wins is, or uh, nominates wins. I mean, it, it is, it is, uh, it is a very competitive award. That's great. Um, There are, Oh, it ranges from year to year, but there are a number of folks getting nominated each year that are probably worthwhile to recognize, but we can only recognize one. Um, so I, I tell those people, well, try again next year. And just because uh, somebody doesn't win this award doesn't mean they're not doing great things. Um, but it is a very, very competitive award. And, and part of that is just because it cuts across all different types of agriculture. We are literally comparing apples to oranges. Um, you know, in the in the case of uh, somewhere here in the Midwest, we're going to compare perhaps a organic vegetable CSA versus a forestry operation versus a CAFO dairy versus a large scale row crop producer. And we're trying to figure out who's doing the best with their unique opportunities among all of these various different types of agriculture. So what you're saying is you have a really easy job. <laughs> I, well, what I like to say is my job is to tell people good news, because quite frankly, there's not enough good news coming out of what is going on in modern agriculture. And there are good news things happening, um, but that doesn't always get talked about. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad that you and your team are spreading that good news. So what have you what have you taken away so far from this big soil health event? What's maybe maybe an aha moment or or something that kind of stood out to you in talking to people here? You know, I, I think I think more more so than even talking to people, it's the looking around the room as the speakers are up there speaking. And I I go to a lot of conferences for better for worse. I'm at uh, dozens of conferences each year. And the big soil health event is really unique in that. I look around the room and people have their notebooks out and they're jotting down ideas and they're kind of throwing an elbow to their neighbor and saying, did you hear that? Did you hear that? That's exciting. That's, we got to try that. Um, There's the, the palpable level of excitement in the room of people truly hungry for knowledge. They're not just here because they're getting a meal at the end of the day. (laughs) They're here to engage with their neighbors and to try and learn something. Well, I think it's really unique, the, the opportunity that the godson decided to continue on, the, um, you know, Mr. Leopold's um, legacy. That's wonderful. And if you haven't read the book, that should be required reading if you're in farming. It's right? good. And um, no, it, it's fantastic. And I'm, I'm glad to see that you're recognizing those innovators and farmers who are making it happen and uh, really making a difference in our world. So Absolutely. thank you so much. And thanks for spending some time with us today. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, we're back now with Nick Sennert. Welcome, Nick. Glad you could stop in. And he had a question for me, but he got roped into recording this. So appreciate you taking some time to visit with everyone. Thanks for having me, Money. Nick, tell me, where are you from? And tell us about your farm. I'm from Northwest Iowa, and uh, I'm a crop farmer, mm-hmm. corn and soybeans. Uh, been utilizing regenerative practices for uh, the last several years, beginning to uh, adopt them on more and more of my acres. 
Okay. So what does that look like for you? Yeah. So probably uh, eight years ago, that just looked like uh, no-tilling uh, soybeans and then util beginning to utilize strip-till corn. Mm -hmm. And uh, about five years ago, I started cover crops on a small scale and that began to expand to where this past year, every acre that I farm had cover crops on it. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, uh, really happy to have uh, cover cover crops growing on the ground between crops. There, we're beginning to utilize more uh, nutritionals uh, in foliars to fix problems, uh, as well as dabbling in biologicals in furrow. Okay, and in the cover crops, what have you noticed some of the benefits on a cover? Are you in the less area? There? I'm not. I'm okay, I'm right on the edge on... of the glacial lobe. So between yeah, the Des Moines lobe. And... Yeah. Okay. Very good. So the the cover crops, uh, it's a dynamic system that I'm continuing to be able to utilize them in greater ways, but the, probably the easiest step would be the, the rye is, uh, holding things in place, uh, getting another root down, uh, in that system and, uh, providing some weed control early that next season. But, uh, Monty, probably the biggest thing I'm excited about was in the last year, we utilized a new crop rotation to us. Uh, I got to grow, uh, a, a quarter section of oats, for the first time. And, uh, you know, step out small is usually, uh, I really like, uh, uh, Jason Mox fail small, fail, uh, often and fail cheap. Well, we, we jumped in, uh, and, and went with a quarter section of oats, uh, that was grown for cover crop seed. And, uh, it was really fun to step out and grow a crop that I've never grown before, especially a cereal that was in a, in like a whole new world of, you know, I'd have friends and neighbors ask me, well, how are you going to do this? Well, how are you going to plant it? How are you going to harvest it? And, uh, well, we were building that ship in the air, but, uh, uh, <laughs> I've got two guys I farm with, uh, Jess and Neil, and we got to do that together in team and, and learned a lot, Monty. So. Yeah. So you're a younger farmer, right? Yep. You, you probably have grown up and never seen oats. I, on your farm i'd never seen oats in my county uh i don't wow. know if i'd seen wheat in my county so it's uh, uh very much a very much a corn and soybean environment so uh we grew those oats it was a it was a good oat year um learned a lot through uh harvesting uh in a humid environment you know most of those small grains are grown in the dakotas for a reason and so um yeah we we learned a lot through that we learned we needed some new equipment and part of that equipment was to get a swather and to get a pickup head but, uh, Monty, I know you're not from Iowa, but, uh, how yeah. many, how many pickup heads, uh, that would fit a 680 combine do you think are in Iowa? <laughs> so I've, I've been on this journey too. Okay. I'm like to do some of the things I want to do with some different crops. I really need to get a swather yep. and, and I need to get a pickup head. So I've looked for it. Um, I, I run the other color combine, so I've looked for them and about the closest you can get is North Dakota, but most of them are in Canada. Sure. That's, is that the same for you? That's exactly what we found. And so we got on uh, Tractor House and, and took a trip to to north of Fargo and uh, came home with a, a pickup head and uh, and a swather. They're really cheap. Uh, they're, they're not bad. No, they're probably not in the greatest shape, but you can, you can get the, the frame at least. Well, I was deep. pretty <laughs> delighted to find a pickup head that we just hooked it up and it worked. So oh, once in a while, good. you find a good piece of used <laughs> equipment. So after we harvested those oats, we, we ended up straight cutting them and it was, it was a long process. It delayed our double crop. We double cropped with uh, buckwheat after the oats, Okay, which was also uh, another experience of, well, how are you going to plant this? How are you going to harvest it? How are you going to treat it? And so uh, we ended up uh, straight cutting some of that uh, and then swathing some of it and picking it up. The equipment worked great. And uh, as we've worked through that whole year of 
that cropping system, um, it's got big implications for our future as uh, that crop was, um, it was profitable and it, it really mixed up my crop rotation. So in our area, Monty, we have a, a big problem with extended diapause in corn oh, rootworm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I'm throwing fully traded corn. I used to plant non-GMO corn and now I had to move to fully stacked corn to mm -hmm. fight that battle. And, uh, next year we'll be going back to non-GMO corn, uh, following that acre. So by doing this, then you're getting uh, a three-year rotation Correct. so that those Northern corn rootworms would have emerged within your, um, oats and buckwheat and nothing exactly. to feed on. Exactly. So that that's wonderful. Um, whole new management implication. And so going forward, uh, we're going to continue to scale that and, have the equipment to scale that now. And so now it's, uh, do a little bit more and a little bit more and, uh, perhaps over the next two to three years, uh, get to actual, a third, a third, a third rotation. And, uh, the cool part about that, you know, we're at a soil health conference. I get pretty passionate about, uh, soil health and it's tied to human health. And in that rotation, I estimate that I can save, uh, and, and reduce the application of herbicides 50 to 75%. And, almost completely eliminate insecticides and fungicides on my farm. Okay. Now, wait a minute. We don't believe, how can you reduce 50 to 70%? How does that work? It's not just that oat buckwheat crop, is it? It's it, the impact that you're making on your corn soybeans that correct. you're able to do that. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a systems approach. Um, but uh, that. What are you going to do? You won't have that tax write off. <laughs> I can find other things to spend. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's kind of, uh, there's a lot of detail into that, but uh, if you can plant a good thick rye ahead of your beans, that should be eliminating uh, uh, quite a bit of a pre-emerge herbicide. Do I hear you growing rye in the future? Uh, probably, that that could help, that could help get into that third rotation also to diversify that crop, so. How'd you, just technical question, oats, how do you keep them standing? Did you have to use any... Um... You know, uh, PGRs to help them stand. Yeah, that's have any issues there. That's a good question. Um, you know, like I said, we're building a ship in the air, so it was it was mid winter when I uh, actually met a gentleman at this conference who I grew those oats for. Okay. Uh, and uh, so I had already spread chicken litter on that farm. Oh, I was boy. I was planning to plant corn, yeah. and uh, I heard oats could go down, and I said, uh, "Well, Lord, maybe you'll make them stand." And <laughs> so we we had two tons of litter, and uh, I'd say. 90% of the oats stood really good, good. and uh, the others we got picked up pretty good. So. Okay, so you took that away from last year at the conference. What have you taken? What do you learn this year that you're going to, uh, at this conference, put into place next year? I appreciate the question, yeah. Uh, I mean, looking at at last year, what happened was there was cool, really cool networking that happens at this conference. So I, I'm both taking away content, but also meeting like-minded people. And uh, even last night, going out to dinner with uh, one other guy I met last year and, and a new guy this year and just being able to share ideas that we have and swap contact info. That's probably the, the, the biggest one takeaway. The, the other is, uh, getting into composting Johnson Sioux and maybe implementing that on my farm also. There you go. Well, that's awesome. So I love that you, uh, weren't afraid to step out and try something new there. And I love that it was success, right? You yeah. didn't have to yeah. fail, fail big. So that that's great. You know, one more thing, if I can, I can share sure. part, a big part of our operation is, uh, two years ago, two good friends of mine and I were, were all farming in the same area. Uh, and we, we found that labor was a real challenge as we, uh, look to have harvest help and planting help. And we decided that we should start working together. 
And so, um, two years ago we bought a combine together and we have different sizes of acreages and, and own that on a percentage basis. And so, uh, as we progress, all of that new equipment that I just described, we've continued to buy on percentage basis and work together as a team, each building, each bringing different strengths to that team and complementing each other. And so, uh, I couldn't do, uh, reach the goals that I just shared with you without those guys. And the cool thing is they're, they're learning about this with me and we're excited as a team and going a similar direction. And so when you have that synergy of like-minded people, not just at a conference that you met that farm in the next state, but mm -hmm. actually part of the same operation, the amount of gain and, and momentum that you can have going forward is tremendous. So, uh, that's been a fun experience over the last two years also. Yeah. The, I, there's the equipment's so large today, oh, right. Yeah. That there's no reason it's hard to have the acres to justify some of this equipment, but boy, if you can work out ways to share that asset, that is poor return on assets. Typically, I mean, the more you can improve that return, the better. Certainly. So congratulations on figuring it out. Plus you gain not just equipment sharing, but it sounds like you gain mind sharing there too, of a common cause of what you're trying to absolutely create. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. We're going to sit down next year and do this again. Sounds good. How's that sound? But no, congratulations. It's pretty neat to hear what you got going on. And um, thanks for, you know, being willing to try something new and share it with others. And we always encourage people to not be afraid to to try something and, and, and do the right thing. So awesome. Glad to hear it. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Monty. Well, welcome everyone. We back with Roger Wenning. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Kim had lunch with you and she said that uh, we just had to hear your story. So mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to it. Tell us. Roger, where are you from? And and tell us your story and why you're here. Okay, I'm Greensburg, Indiana. Okay. That's southeastern part, our southeast of Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. Uh we have the world famous tree on the courthouse. Okay. So <laughs> if you've ever heard of that, we have there a tree on our courthouse. <laughs> awesome. So what you are you do you farm there, Roger? Tell tell us more uh, about what you do. Yes, I farm with my son and my sister. Yeah. Uh, we also run a small excavating business, mm -hmm. do a lot of waterways, ponds, clearing, just, you know, mostly we try to stick with agriculture stuff. I just like farmers better. There you go. Uh, we do, uh, piling also in the winter, mm -hmm. but you know, we're not a big farmer, about 900 acres, mm -hmm. enough to be an aggravation. Uh, <laughs> there you go so have you been to the big soil health event before no this is my first trip. okay what what interested you in coming over well i saw the lineup of speakers and i thought boy that'd be nice to go to mm -hmm. but i got too much work to do i don't think i can and about two weeks ago liz haney started on me uh-oh then you're in trouble texting and whatnot and stuff that are you coming? I don't think so. Yes, you are. You will be here. Well, what do you say then when Liz says you're going to do it? Yeah, that's true. There's not much choice. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. but I love the lineup of speakers. I've been good friends with some of them for a long time. Several of them have been to my farm in the past. I have field day every year and, uh, some of the people have been there and, just been really good friends. So, so how long you been doing, uh, cover crops or reduced tillage, no tillage on your farm? Uh, that's a hard one for sure. 
back in the eighties, I got, I guess I keep thinking back and I was saying around 2000, but then I have to keep back in that. Cause in the early mid eighties, I started running. I have some hill, hilly ground mm -hmm. and it was all washing down in the Creek. And I thought, well, this is not going to work. I can't keep losing. We don't have much topsoil where I'm at anyway. So I started running lead up and down the valleys and contouring around my hills. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it was cover crop. I just was doing it. It worked. I was trying to get with no-till. I knew I needed to. Uh, I struggled a little with it on some. It worked on those hills where I was putting the cover crops that I can call them now. Mm -hmm. uh, because before when I tilled them, just big old nasty clods. You could never break down. You had to wait for a good rain to get the corn to come up. Mm -hmm. It just didn't. And when I started doing this, I could no-till, and the crops would come right up. It worked. But my flatter areas were very wet, cold, nasty soils. So in the early 90s, I bought a tile plow. My brother and I went together because I knew to make no-till, I had to get that excess water out. So when I got that, we started clearing the excess water, and no-till started working. And I don't know, I started messing around, and by the mid-'90s, I'd learned about annual ryegrass. I had some really hard spots in my fields and some almost fragipan type underneath, and water mm -hmm. couldn't go through. And a couple areas where water wouldn't, they were so compacted, like half-acre area, there was six inches of water setting in it. And you drive right through it. Put tile, it sealed mm -hmm. back over. So I gave up on, I pulled every piece of steel possible through it. Nothing worked. I gave up. Fifteen years later, I looked at my son, I said, where is that? those couple spots, they were gone. There was a six-inch depression that sat full of water. There was no depression anymore. I had gotten air and life back into that soil. It had lifted it itself back up, leveled out, and you can't see it on a yield monitor. That was a moment that, okay. But I just, and part of it, I had to find something back in the 80s. I'm old enough to know what that was, and I guess I, let's say I survived it. I don't know how. 1983, I was broke. Mm -hmm. I had to do something. And the reduced tillage to no-till saved me money, and then it started increasing yields. So by the later 90s, I was making money. Things were coming up, looking better. My yields were, went from my poor ground, 30 bushel an acre below the county average, which for my soils was right, to today I'm 40 bushel over county average. Hmm. So this soil helped. Now, we talk no-till. Uh, we talk cover crops. That also included, I started grid sampling in the 80s. When it, that wasn't cool, but I set flags and made my little square grids and set the fertilizer spreader and the lime spreader to 
to take care of it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the advantages to being a small farmer. Yeah. You can do those kind of things. I figured if I can make, you know, 50 or $100 an acre on a small acreage versus break even on a 1,000 acres or more, which makes more sense. No, I can't go and brag to my neighbors, I farm more than you do, but I can go brag I make more money than you do. So That goes the, over well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but to me, that was, and I was the crazy guy in the community. Okay. What? I knew some stories going around about me, and I think the neighbors were discussing who would get which parcel on my farm when I finally went broke, but... Today they're they're still waiting. No, they're coming to me like, okay, how do I do this on my farm? Well, that's great. They started doing that, so that made me okay. Maybe so. Really, in your story, you're twenty years ahead of the curve in most things. You're mid eighties on no till, probably which that's twenty years ahead. Uh, you're definitely twenty thirty years ahead on the cover crop thing, the pattern tiling. Mm -hmm. That's finally getting a lot of press here lately. Oh, okay. You know. But yeah. having your own right. plow and doing right. it, right? Um, you know that in the early '90s, that that's mm -hmm. definitely 10, 20 years ahead of the curve. Oh yeah. Well, looking at you know testing and various products that you're doing, what else do you see or ideas you picked up while being here that you're that you're going to implement in the future? What about crop rotations and diversity? Anything? Uh, anything? We have been corn bean mm -hmm. with some wheat that got started about 15 years ago. Dale Much out of University of Michigan was down one of my field days i'd gotten to be friends with him and they were showing the advantages to wheat mm -hmm. i hated wheat ever since i got rid of the hogs around 2000 i couldn't afford them anymore i'd kind of had to give that habit up but uh we put wheat back in some there's some big advantages to that my son's got a few cows and calves uh we're working pasturing them on some areas of the field seeing don't know if we're going to grow that or not down around us or not much big areas with cattle and stuff mm -hmm. but we're not i love the idea but we are looking at adding some manure and mm -hmm. some stuff to it just because of the biological effects mm -hmm. of the manure new farm that's really bad we did line up a bunch of litter to put on it mm -hmm. i think is really because i mean we love the microbes and all them and mm -hmm. that kind of manure is kind of a steroid for your microbes mm -hmm. so well talk to um like your neighbors come over and ask them what you're doing how do you find it um a good way to get other farmers to consider doing things differently no matter what you're doing but something that's more aligned with the soil health principles what what advice would you have for them uh well first they got to be willing to talk they have to be willing to make a change not do it like their dad and grandpa did it you need to be ready to see improvement you've got to be committed i mean the first time I planted green, I was forced to. I didn't get, I had some rye out and I didn't get sprayed. 
and I had an old spray coop at the time, and I couldn't see over it out of the spray coop. I mean, that's how big it was. Uh, and I had 200 acres of that. So I didn't have a choice but to make it work. Ten, my son came out to plant. He called me, said, I'm quitting. I'm done. So, whoa. I grabbed up the rubber closing wheels, took and the uh, electric impact, and we went out to the field, met him, and we changed all the closing wheels from the spikes to them. Uh, they, we, they make a great rake in, oh, yeah, in they uh, roll, tall covers, don't they? Oh, yeah, they roll stuff up nice. I mean, we don't run, we run a conventional planter other than the closing wheels. We don't have no tilt cutters or uh, row cleaners anymore just with that soft the soil over the years has gotten so mellow mm -hmm. we rented a farm about three years ago that had been tillaged and pillaged and uh i'm gonna we, i'm gonna use yeah. that quote oh. pillaged and pillaged okay. i like that yeah whatever uh <laughs> but uh We had been planting all our, my son does most of the planting. There are too many buttons and stuff on the planter. I can do some, but he's on speed dial when I get in. Uh, second notch from the lightest down pressure. Two and a half, two and three quarter inches, easy. Hit this new farm. He got off, and that's why I like him planting, because he's always checking, digging. He wasn't getting corn in a half inch. We had to go up to the, I don't know if he was on the highest down pressure or second from highest down pressure to get corn two inches in the ground. I mean, that's another reason why I know I'm doing what I should be. It yeah. just tells you <laughs> when you see those things. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a great way to say it. So, um, no, look forward to what you're going to be coming out with next and, and, mm -hmm as you and your son continue to do better and better all the time. And that's a, uh, that's a great example there of what's going on between long-term mm -hmm. that you farmed and now we call it regenerative, right? Yeah, so I guess that we, we didn't, we didn't know that. what that was. We you know? didn't. Yeah. We'll, we'll to, see what the term is next year. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> we want soil health, but I guess that's gone now. Yeah. And yeah. Regen, we yeah. went sustainable. Yeah. And yeah. All that. It's all just terminology. Right. It's just, I mean, uh, I, should just be called doing the right thing. Well, that, yeah. I mean, that's all I could call it when I started because we didn't have all these buzzwords. That's right. So, uh, but no, thanks for, thanks for sharing your story and, yeah. and what you got going on there. And it's, okay. it's a commitment that you got to make for multiple years. Yes. But, but, to. but when you go back and you rented that ground that had been tillaged and pillaged, and you just see that stark reminder. It's just, it's shocking, oh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I just, and we've got a big test going, and our CS came out with some money. They sent, when I rented the farm, I talked to our state soil health specialist, and she got all excited. And pretty soon, I was digging pits out in that field, my 25-year continuous healthy field, and the neighbors, I'll always be tillage pillaged. And uh, we went in the woods, dug holes, had six soil scientists for NRCS spent two weeks out there. Huh. And 
I don't know how many ton of soil they sent to Lincoln, Nebraska, but it was. <laughs> so we're just going to try to track this and see what improvements. Cause I said, you know, it took me 20 years on mine to figure it out. Most of it was, I had to do it by myself. There was nobody there to help me. Mm -hmm. Uh, we had just a few three or four of them out there, but there wasn't much. And now I'm not very patient. So I said five years, I intend to have this for me smoking. There you go. But, <laughs> and you can tell with cover crops five years. I walk out in the fields and, oh, I get made a lot of fun of, but I go barefooted out there all the time. Mm -hmm. And I walk on the field and it's like, uh, first year is like walking concrete. Year three or four, you're starting to feel a little bit of carpet under your feet. By year five and then on up and definitely seven, eight, there's a nice thick pad under that carpet. The full shag going it, on. Yeah, it just feels good. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, that's a good way to do it. I, I've always said you need to use all your senses in a field. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, there's people that tell you about earthing and those kind of things, too, and it's not a bad deal for you. And uh, uh, there's, I think there's something to that. Yep, I'm yep. not totally against that. I yep. mean, you know, the ion, you know, the pluses and sure. minuses sure. and stuff to equalize them. Yep. Normally, you know, normally when you hear new ideas, it's the first thing is to instantly think, well, that's crazy, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, well, yeah, take a little more time, explore and have an open mind. It's interesting yeah. what you can learn. Yeah. Neighbors still think I'm nuts. They oh, see me okay. out there farming barefoot. You know what I say? Just the way it is. If, okay? they're, if they're talking about you, they're leaving everyone else alone. Hey, right? Think that's of the good way to think. Think about of it. the community service you're providing. Yeah. That's a good way to think about it. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks for joining us. And, okay. Uh, have a great Have a great 24 and um, order the weather a little better, so, would you? Yeah, it'd be nice. Okay. There you go. <laughs> take care okay well now we're joined by cameron mills from walton indiana welcome cameron how are you doing thanks great for having me money we're on the second day cameron's up later on this afternoon to talk about his direct to consumer business but um cameron's had a chance to speak at our field day before i first met him when he was talking at a beck's field day about cover crops and that was probably eight ten years ago or so and then kind of reconnected with him here in the last few years but um, we get a chance to bounce a lot of ideas off each other, especially when we're operating equipment, when there's nothing else to do but go back and forth and talk on the phone. So we've uh, we've shared a lot of ideas on on things to do and in the regenerative space. And I just would love for you to kind of bring people up to speed about your farm, your family, and your journey from you know looking at no-till and cover crops to where you're at today. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Monty. Um, I guess we'll start with the family aspect of it first, because honestly, uh, without our support or my support that I've had from my family, there would absolutely be, uh, we wouldn't be where we're at today. Um, really my wife should be the one here doing the interview because she works 10 times harder than I do. I get to go to meetings and get to do visit and learn. And she's at home getting to pack boxes and working on ads and working on Facebook posts and things like that for our direct to consumer business. So she really gets all the credit. There's no question about it. And our kids really too, um, have done a really good job of jumping in as a family project. Um, our oldest has moved on to grad school now to be a chiropractor, but um, he got his fair share while he was here. And so all the other kids are are jumping in and it's kind of like a, a big family project. Someday it's torture for them. They would uh, probably uh, would think that, but as a good, as, 
as it should be good for everybody, I think it's a really good deal. Um, our business, uh, the farm, uh, we farm about 3,800 acres. It's all been no-till since 2000. Uh, it was when we started no-till, started in cover crops about 2006, and really just started slow like everybody else does, right? We did. We jumped in as far as when we switched the farm to no-till, it was all at once. When we switched to cover crops, we started a little bit slower. We started with 100 acres, and then we went to you know 200 acres, and we started accelerating. And by 2010, everything was covered. Um, and that's our goal every year, just keep everything covered. Um, through our journey of learning, we learned that diversity, we heard that over and over and over in all the meetings we ever went to is you got to get more diverse. So we did, we started trying to get more, uh, diverse cover crops on our operation. And then, um, we started bringing more cash crops into our operation, which, you know, we're in Indiana, um, Indiana is still in the, in the corn belt. So you plant corn soybeans area, um, and soybeans is a stepchild. So uh, when we started looking at wheat or other cereal grains in the operation as a way to get more diverse cover crops in, boy, the neighbors really thought we were off a rocker since we didn't have hogs or anything that we needed to put the manure on behind the wheat. So uh, we, we grow triticale now, we grow barley, we grow buckwheat, we grow open pollinated corn, we grow uh, some heritage wheats, all for uh, milling, small milling purposes for our direct-to-consumer business. Uh, we have uh, grass-fed beef, pork, and uh, pastured pork and pastured poultry that we also do direct to consumer. And so the what's been interesting about this whole journey as we've we've strung this all through is that uh, the response from the consumer and what's what's what has been interesting is is they're almost pushing us faster than we can go. Their interest level, mm-hmm. so they are they are asking for things that we were not prepared to do. We weren't prepared to go into the heritage grain business. We have people asking for the heritage grains now that they can do, they can mill on their own countertops at home. Not everybody, but some and wasn't prepared for that. We will probably, you know, dive into that. That won't be a very large scale deal. But again, we have, we have customers that, of course, my wife deals with the customers firsthand, but she relays the stories that we've, we had another customer says they will not buy any protein from the grocery store. They're going to buy all their protein from us. So that's pretty cool that you hear those stories all the time. And so we have a neighbor lady that's now making sourdough bread um, that she started a little business and um, was not expecting. She was just doing it for some friends and it kind of expanded. Now she's got to tell people, no, I'm not baking today because she's out. Um, so we've, we've kind of visited with her about the heritage grain flour. She's all, she's, we've taken her some, she's, she's baking with it currently and we'll see how she likes it. But I think that's going to be a possibility moving forward, especially since we just put in a little retail, we're working on putting in a little retail space. Okay, so 3,800-acre operation, not small by any means, but all of these other enterprises that you've got started are, are smaller. So how do you, how, do, how would another farmer of scale uh, consider doing these things? I mean, because it takes a lot of mind share to do this, and is there a risk of that taken away from your primary operation? How do you, how do you balance that? <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, I'm nuts. That would be the, the easy answer because this is not easy. Um, if you want something simple, just grow corn and soybeans. That's the simple thing to do. Um, however, there is a lot of, uh, reward involved with this seeing what the customers think, um, there is money to be made in this space. Again, a lot of work. Um, so I would never tell anybody if you want things to be easier, you may not want to go down this path or start really slowly. And that's what we did. We started this, you know, four or five years ago as a slow, just really small building. And it's, it's, it has accelerated and I think it will continue to accelerate. Um, but it is a balance. It is a, it is a time management is my biggest 
problem. It's not capital. It's uh, time management for myself and our labor. So talk about the reward part. You're not talking when everybody thinks about corn and soybeans, it's profit per acre, right? And that, that's, hey, I get to run shiny equipment and I'm feeding the world and hopefully I'll have enough, pick up enough acres that my son or daughter can come into the operation, right? That's kind of the <clears throat> the reward there. Talk about some of the rewards that you found in this, the meat and the milling business that you just would, that you wouldn't be able to experience if you're just doing the corn soybean and even the corn soybean and cover crop right business. So through the, through the cover crop side of things, got to meet and, and work with a lot of farmers all over the Midwest really, um, to help them down their journey as we have experienced in some of our, our, our good experiences and some of our failures. Um, so that has been interesting. But meeting the consumer, when you get to meet people that aren't really associated with agriculture, and so you get to kind of tell your story of why you're doing what you're doing, why we believe what we believe, how we take care of the animals. They come right to the farm to pick their meat up, and they can see the cattle at the farm. They can see the pigs across the road or wherever they're at. And so uh, it's been interesting for them to learn as we learn. And so part of the deal is education. Uh, working with our consumers. So my wife does a, a big part. I kind of relay what we're doing. My wife puts it in a, a intelligent form that she can then tell to the um, consumers that doesn't make everybody, doesn't make me or us sound like an idiot, um, which if I did, they'd think they were talking to a kindergartner. So fortunately, um, she's very good at, at uh, interpreting my stammering around into an intelligent thing that she can put on the customers. Um but um, I think I think uh, as far as the next generation, you mentioned that, bring that back. Uh, that is where our industry, no matter whether you're in any part of agriculture, I think we've done a big disservice for our next several generations. Um, uh, I had a, I was very blessed in my opportunities that when when I when when it was my time to farm, even though that wasn't the plan, my plan wasn't to farm because our farm was so small when I took over. Um, I was planning on doing something else. My dad ended up stepping aside and that was my opportunity. Um, so to, uh, to go down that path, that's kind of how I'm looking for the next generation and kind of why we looked at this direct consumer business was like a sideline game, but it was also my exit strategy. So if we're able to build this up to serve our community, uh, with good nutritious products, and we consider this on, then I can slowly ease out of the row crop operation if my son or daughter decides to come back. Um, because I don't want to be that long-term burden on the operation. We want to educate and be able to move that next generation in so that they can make their mark on agriculture. Plus, there's a lot more diversity of opportunity for family members to be a part of the farm because Absolutely. maybe they don't like sitting in a cab driving back and forth, you know, 16 hours a day. Maybe Absolutely. that's just not their thing. You know, it, we enjoy it, right? Yep. But maybe they won't. So now there's there's marketing opportunities. There's livestock care opportunities. There's just a, a bigger bigger opportunity for them to be a part of the farm, right? Absolutely. My, my youngest son, who has aspirations at this point of coming back to the farm, who is in the operation right now, he loves the cattle. That's his... That's his thing. We kind of jokingly call him the cattle whisperer because he's very good at managing the cattle and, and moving them and doing it. And that's, that's his love. I keep trying to push him the other direction because I also like the livestock and kind of want to move that way. So 
But what you're saying is you don't want the row crops to have to be your exit exactly. strategy. You want the cat. Oh man. Exactly. <laughs> I I'm, I've done that um, for the last 25 years and I've enjoyed it immensely. It's been very good for our family, but um, I would be very happy just following the cows around as I get older. That'd be just fine. Well, there you go. So you get a chance to go to a lot of the meetings uh, mm-hmm. in the soil health space. Um, what have you taken away at this meeting or, or what are some things that um, you're looking to, you know, with all the connection that you have to implement this, this coming season on your farm? Well, obviously uh, there is a, a tremendous amount of uh, knowledge has been exuded at this conference. One of the things that I, I think is we, we still want to continue reducing our um, total load of nutrients over time, uh, but we are definitely looking to manage them more precisely. So, you know, foliars, um, putting the right nutrient on at the right time, those type of things. We've been working on that for for a while, but we'd like to continue to work on that. One of the other things that I think that sometimes gets brushed over in a conference like this <clears throat> is in a conference like this, we have people from all over the country here. It's not just Iowa. So there's people from, from a large area that have come together seeking the same common goal, which is to improve their operation, improve their lifestyle. And so that's the cool thing. Not everybody here is doing the exact same thing. We're heading the same direction, but we're not all getting there the same way. And that's where I think, again, big ag industry, we've, we've, we've made everything about yield. We've made everything about it has one way to do it. And um, I think there's, in this space, there's a multitude of ways to get there. And I think embracing uh, each other's ability to do things differently is great because I'm not going to do maybe what the guys in Iowa are doing or Minnesota are doing. That's okay. They can do whatever they want as long as, as we're all heading to the same goal. It's it's a great opportunity to visit and maybe pull that one little piece of information that I can say, ah, okay, I need to look at that a little farther. So back to what you started with when we when we first started talking here is your family. You mm-hmm. brought Jeffrey with, with yep, and he's here. you wanted him to be here so you'd have a chance to, you know, visit on the truck and and allow him to see that hey, it's just not dad talking about this stuff. Uh, there's right. other people. Um, what have you guys had a chance to do a little download yet, or are you going to do that on the way home? I think that'll be this evening on the way home. Hopefully, we've talked a little bit about things. Um, um, it's interesting to see his perspective as a 19 year old, right? So, I mean, it's definitely different than my own. Uh, he's got a lot to learn, um, to be able to, to manage a farm, but, um, I'm excited. It's fun to have him along, uh, work with him every day, at least here in the last several months. So to have him along for this, to, to see what he responds to, uh, I expect some interesting conversations on the way home. Now, how has he liked being out there at the booth? You've got some of your milled products here and your buckwheat honey. Uh, he's been interacting with people and, yes. and seeing that. Uh, how do you, how's he doing, Dad? He's doing better than I would do, I'll admit. I would love to have my wife here because that's her bread and butter. But he's doing very well, um, amazingly well, and uh, he's enjoying it. I just wish uh, I wish he maybe could get in the, the sessions a little bit more from time to time. Yeah. But I, he's doing well. Well, any other thoughts before we we get back to the sessions like you're talking about? No, I think I've I think I've about exhausted everything. Well, we're we're looking forward to what you got to share this afternoon and and getting direct to consumer. And you know, that's certainly been a theme of a lot of people we've talked about today. There's a lot of a lot of interest here. So this isn't I, I think we're beyond the fad stage, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I I definitely think we're beyond the fad. I think this in this space, I think everybody can make it what they want to make it. If they want to uh if they, especially if they have the region and the uh, the location and the ability to connect with people, I think they can blow this up to be whatever they want. If they want it to be a little 
a little sideline game that they just play with, that's perfectly awesome. If they want to blow it up and really make it um, part of their operation, I think that's very possible. I mean, the, the, the demand is there. There's no question about it. Well, that's awesome. I bet we're going to hear a lot more about that this afternoon. We'll see. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, we're going to have you back sometime for a full full episode and a big download on on everything that you're doing there with your family on your regenerative farm. But uh, sure, thank you for joining us, and it's great to see you in person, not just on the phone in the combine. So, um, thanks for sharing your thoughts, ideas, and and it's neat to see how a large scale operation can can make these things happen too. Thanks, Monty. Appreciate the opportunity. Yep. Wow, I sure hope you were encouraged as you listened to these stories and how folks just like you are changing their paradigm, rethinking the way they are running and managing their operations. So if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing to help growers make powerful changes to their practices, check out our website at asn.farm. And there you can click on links to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. There's a lot of great things happening and always something to learn. Thanks for listening.